Spring teaches us hope in the season of death. Winter ground springs forth into fragrant life, reminding us that death does not end life, but that living at last brings an end to dying. Before the war, after the accident, before the divorce, after the wedding, before we met, after the baby, before the cancer, the stroke, the Alzheimer's, the fall, our lives are marked by befores and afters. Before we ate the forbidden fruit. The old question of the chicken and the egg has us chasing our metaphysical tales. For every before, there is an after, it would seem. And we occupy our minds with the questions that our souls have little patience for. But more mysterious than the old question of chicken and egg is asking which came first, the shadow or the light? Does cause always precede effect? Does light come before the shadow? Does plucking the string precede the note? Is there a moment between the bloom and its fragrance? There is a place where all things belong, where all befores and afters find their meaning, where all aches and all longings, all fears and all doubts, all needs and angers and regrets make sense. All at once, at last. Where all becomes clear and all questions lose their importance, where our thirst for answers is quenched forever. We have a word for the place where the beginning and the end are the same. Where before and after mingle, blend, dissolve into one another, vanish. Where the shadow is filled with light. Where shame and forgiveness occupy the same instant. The word is eternity. And we have a name. The name is God. His one plucked note is love. It is the song he invites us all to sing in the now between the fragrance and the rose. The gospel text this morning <clears throat> comes to us from John's Gospel from chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. Now a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair 
So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and, and you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Sure, let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, said Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The, the teacher is here, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my, my brother would not have died. And Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along also saw her weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you lain him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved them. But some of them said, could he who opened the eyes of the blind man have also kept this man from dying? 
Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. He has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Once again, the lectionary plays its fiendish challenge on our lives and our worldview with this gospel text this morning. There is probably nothing more any of us want than resurrection. We'd give everything, literally everything this morning for a resurrection today. On the first day of the month, I was, confession time, I was at the gym. I know it's a rare sighting, but I was there. When my phone rang, and I'm not often one to answer the phone when I'm working out. I figure that's what voicemail is for, but I did this time. And it was a friend, a pastor friend in Pomona, telling me that, a mentor and colleague and friend of mine, Bob Linthicum, had died. Very suddenly, he had fallen hematoma to his head, never woke up. Then we went through the experience and are going through the experience of losing Kathy as a congregation and suffering that pain. And if that weren't enough this month, Monday's New York Times told the story of workers in the Eastern District of the Congo discovering the bodies of two Caucasians and our worst fears that uh, dear friend's son, Michael Sharp, a UN worker for peace in Congo had, who had been kidnapped had also been killed. I am sick to death of people dying this month. I'm, I'm tired of it. The coming to terms with the loss of an elderly mentor is one thing. Coming to terms with the loss of a parishioner is a harder thing. Coming to terms with the loss of a 34-year-old brilliant peacemaker is hard too. We would give anything, 
including our own lives, for resurrection today. And so we read this gospel passage, and it feels like cruel irony. Talking about Lazarus rising from the dead when, when Bob and Kathy and MJ aren't going to walk out of the tomb. But the story this morning from John's Gospel, while it includes a resurrection, while it includes a resurrection story about Lazarus, the story isn't about Lazarus. This is one of those times when the Sunday school answer is the right answer. The story is about Jesus. It's about who Jesus is for us and with us. The story is told in two parts. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 16, deals with the background story to Lazarus' death. The story gets set for us in the first six verses, and then in verses 7 to 16, we have this really interesting debate, this glimpse into the way the disciples and Jesus interacted with each other and chose to get along with each other. They, they had a debate. They argued with each other. And Jesus was trying to be kind and trying to be thoughtful and trying to, to help the disciples process. And finally, he just had to come out and say, guys, Lazarus died. And we're going back to Judea. And and you get Thomas, who I, I think it's the, it's the classic response of the Gospels, isn't it? Yeah, let's go back to Judea with him so that we can die too. This passage just drips with irony and pathos. But then the story shifts to Bethany, to the trip to, from the trip from Galilee to Judea. And we have Jesus' answer to Lazarus' death in verses 17 to 44. And it comes to us in three acts. There is, there is Jesus' encounter with Martha, or maybe a better way to say it, the story where Martha rips Jesus a new pie hole. She is not happy with Jesus, and she makes that abundantly clear. The, the Greek text is full of hints that let you know she is unhappy with Jesus. You should, have ta- you should have been here. Where were you? You're the son of God. You should have taken care of this. Yeah, I believe that in the last day my brother will rise again, but you should have been here. And isn't it true that anger, frustration, is part of our grieving? When I read the story that MJ's body had been found in a shallow grave along a dirt road in eastern Congo, I confess to you, my first thoughts were not about peacemaking. My first thoughts were about retaliation. I wanted the people who who took the life of the smartest kid I'd ever met to pay. 
I felt like Martha. But Martha's frustration isn't the only emotion that Jesus encounters. In verses 28 to 37, Mary becomes involved. Mary, the one who sat at Jesus' feet, who listened to him while Martha was in the kitchen, doing her thing, yelling at both of them because she was doing all the heavy lifting. Mary comes to Jesus not with not with anger, not with frustration, but with tears. And Jesus responds in kind. But then there is a, this third encounter at the tomb. The man dead four days. Jesus' call for him to come out, and he does. Lazarus comes forward with unbound obedience with the willingness to follow Jesus. And there is a postscript to this story, verses 45 and and on. There are those who experience this and believe. But there is also the story of it getting back to the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And the decision made, finally, this man's a threat. Any man who can call forth the dead, any man who can heal the brokenhearted and unbind those who have gone on, they must die for the, for the welfare of all. And so Jesus becomes, in this story and because of this story, a man marked for death. And as the weeks continue in Lent to Palm Sunday and finally Easter, we will see that story unfold. How Jesus is now marked because he does good. Because he heals the brokenhearted and makes the dead come to life. The story has multiple layers of meanings, multiple words of hope for us. I want to suggest three words of hope this morning. First of all, that resurrection is central to our faith. Death is a constant of life, whether It's upon the completion of 80 years of life and ministry, thousands of people hearing the gospel, or because in midlife, one who's been a friend to everybody grows weary of the battle, or because a 34-year-old is kidnapped and brutally murdered. Death is constant of life. But so is resurrection. In the Greek, the passage in verse 25 of chapter 11, Ego emi en anastasis kai en zoe. I am the resurrection and the life. My name 
is resurrection and life. Jesus pointing back to the burning bush experience where Moses asks God, what is your name? Who are you? And the burning bush replies, I am who I am. Jesus says, my name is resurrection. My name is life. Whatever it is we feel today about the losses we are experiencing, we can also say with equal certainty, with equal hope, that Jesus, his name is resurrection. His name is life. That promise is front and center for all of us all the time, in every circumstance. But there's a second point in this passage, I think, and that is the importance of a shared good grief. John's recording of the disciples' anxiety and Martha's frustration and Mary's tears are good news for us because they invite us into the same experience. They let us know that grief is okay. That to say yes to our pain is not a denial of God's good news. It is a way in which we come to understand God's good news. It is the severe mercy of God that we experience even as the Cessnas try to get their throttles right for landing. The disciples and Martha and Mary give us hope. They give us a promise. They let us know that our grief is real and vital and good and important. There is a third point in this passage, I think, and that is the unbinding of Lazarus. See, this story isn't just a funeral story. It's a story about our common condition. We all come to Jesus dead in our sin. We all come to him bound in our ways of being. And what Jesus does for each of us in his own way, in the way that we need it, is to give us resurrection, is to reanimate us, to restore life to our deadened souls. And his call to the community of faith, to the disciples around us, is to unbind each other. Because as Lazarus comes out of the tomb with linen tied to his feet and across his eyes, he's, he's stumbling and staggering, uncertain about what has happened to him. And Jesus doesn't say to Lazarus, take your bandages off. He says to those around him, unbind him, loose him. And that is the role of Christian community in a time of grief and pain. To unbind one another. To loose one another. But it is also what we do 
when the gospel in its fullness shows up in the lives of one another. Because we all are always struggling with death and being bound. Life is that ongoing struggle. In Jesus' words, I am resurrection and life, and his call to the faithful, unbind one another. That's gospel. That's our promise. That's our hope. That's what we live by. So this morning, some questions. You'll have, to, you'll have to pay attention here. They won't be on a screen. What does it mean for us to place the promise of resurrection central in our hearts? What does it mean for us to live as if resurrection matters? Not just someday, not just on Easter, but every day. What, what does it mean for us to say, we are being resurrected? What does it mean for us to place that promise front and center in our lives? Secondly, how can we be present for one another in our cycles of grief and pain, in the anxiety of not knowing, in the frustration and anger, and in the tears? How are we present for one another? in the cycles of grief and pain? And thirdly, how do we live unbound by the constraints of death? How do we unbind each other so that we can truly live? How do we free each other from being tied to a world of death? How do we live as if there's new life? One more thing, that uh, great theologian and screenwriter, Chuck uh, Palachnik, who wrote Fight Club, says this, only after disaster can we be resurrected. Lazarus's death was a disaster for Mary and Martha. Bob's death was a disaster for community organizing. Kathy's death is a disaster for us. MJ's death is a disaster for peace building in the Congo and for John and Michelle in Heston, Kansas and all of us who knew him. But only after disaster can we be resurrected. May the disasters that we encounter provide opportunity for us to be unbound for life, for the gospel, for Christ. Let's keep silence for a moment.